Welcome to The Fold, the Good Shepherd podcast, where we do our best every day to keep hospitality alive. Here's your host, Good Shepherd's Chief Executive Officer, Brother Richard McPhee. Good day and welcome to The Fold. Another time for us to get together to talk about some of the work that we do here at Good Shepherd. Today we're going to talk about food insecurity and supporting our neighbors throughout these holiday seasons. My guest today is Mike Truscott, who is the director of the Men's Center and the Venture Center, our ministries to homeless men and families in our community. We're going to be entering into the holiday season, and for us here at The Good Shepherd, it's one of the busiest times of the years. Many people rely on us for their holiday festivities, their ability to celebrate Christmas or other holidays as a family, as an individual. Many people are single who come to us for shelter and food, and that brings people each and every day to our door. Christmas particularly is a time where we see a a number of people who turn to us for help. Right now, over 8,000 households are relying on Good Shepherd to put food on their table. Over 600 people come each day for our meal, and the lineup seemed to be getting longer and longer. As I said, my guest today is Mike Truscott, the director of the Good Shepherd Center and the Venture Center. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Brother Richard. Pleasure to be here. Mike, tell us a little bit about your role as the director of the Men's Center and the Venture Center and what that entails. I'd be happy to, Brother Richard. Um, I oversee the programs at the Men's Center that include the emergency shelter, the transitional bed program, um, which is 64 beds in total, and also the housekeeping team that works brilliantly hard to keep the place safe and clean, and the kitchen team that provides meals services to the community and the residents in the building. And also at the Venture Center, we have the Venture Center Marketplace, which is the food bank. So oversee the staff there in the warehouse and in the back and everything, all the moving parts in between um, that make that place click. Yeah, it's a, it's a big program. Tell us, tell us a little bit about how you're preparing the Christmas Marketplace program this year and how it's different from our regular food bank and clothing programs. Um, so probably the only similarity we have from the regular shop and the Christmas marketplace shop is it's by appointment. It's a scheduled appointment. But after that, it really changes because what we're looking at um, for the Christmas marketplace is for families and households to have a full array of foods, treats, and toys for the children. And um, it's we, we work hard all summer, all fall, kind of collecting foods and putting it away. And the warehouse team does a great job in doing that. And um, People will walk away from the Christmas marketplace with approximately $320 to $350 in value of food, treats, and toys. And um, this, this, if I, if you don't mind, I'm going to make a little list here of the meats that people will be walking away with. It'll be chicken, beef, sausages, and hams. They'll get three out of four at least. Uh, vegetables, potatoes, carrots, onions, squash, turnips, and stuffing. Um, tangerines and apples as fruit, and the non-perishable staples that we normally have, like tuna, pasta, tomato sauce, craft dinner, peanut butter, canned vegetables, and canned soups, and cereals, crackers. And what's really important that to make meals full, um, we, we got to make sure there's milk and eggs, 
and uh, butter and margarine and maple syrup if people are going to make pancakes and uh, French toast. Um, and also snacks, chips, granola bars, ice cream, cookies. Um, and for toys, there'll be an array of toys that we collect in donations. And we also get um, from corporate donations as well that we, over the months, we stack away, we stockpile, and it's all sorted and ready to go. So kids under 14 will get toys and games. And for kids that are over 14, we'll get a Walmart card worth $15. Yeah, I know it's a it's a really uh, a Christmas miracle that a place comes together it, and it, how people in their generosity uh, help us each and every year to make that miracle happen. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I've only been here for one of those uh, Christmas marketplace. I was fairly new last year when it started, um, but it truly is a miracle and it really warmed my heart to see that and, and the offering to the community and how far that goes and the gratitude of the people. It's it's a beautiful thing to see. Mike, can you tell us a little bit and actually speak to our listeners of who we serve at the marketplace? What are some of the reasons people come to us and how do they need help? Um, well, as we know, um, cost of food is incredibly high now. Inflation is just off the charts and rental prices in the into rental market and the housing market with interest rates, um, the cost of utilities, it's made things very difficult for families, households to make ends meet. Even people with decent jobs and careers, and maybe a single parent making $50,000 a year is gonna struggle to make ends meet. So um, what we see coming into the marketplace, uh, it's we see people coming from encampments, we see people on verge of homelessness, we see just struggling families, maybe even larger families um, making ends meet. So, um, and there's a, an array of ethnic backgrounds that come and socio, excuse me, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, different kinds. Um, we try our best to serve everybody. Um, we've seen a huge increase in international students as well. Um, but yeah, the demand is really intense. Um, we also see from as of end of September, a 106% increase compared to last year at the same time of new people registering um, for the food bank. And um, it kind of tells the demand and, and the insecurity that we see in our communities. Yeah, uh, you know, that 106% is a, a, a staggering number. And seeing the fact that so many people are living just on the edge yeah. and having to come to a food bank because... They can't necessarily afford the rent, but they're paying the rent and then they're struggling to put exactly. food on the table of their families. Exactly. And I know that uh, people have been generous to us and have continued to um, meet the needs of the people in our community. Um, your job allows you to meet and interact with different people each and every day. Do you have any special memories of a client or a volunteer at Good Shepherd that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, Something that might inspire us as we enter into this holiday season. Yeah, you know, one of the greatest joys of walking into the Venture Center Marketplace is seeing all the volunteers. And um, there's so many. And just, you know, it's a joy walking in, greeting them, saying hello, sharing stories, and sharing my gratitude for their offering of free time. Um, we cannot serve the community without the volunteers and, and the hard work and, and their dedication, their loyalty, their resilience. 
Um, a lot of them are seniors. They're standing on their feet for three, four hours at a time. And um, it's 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 a real good connection for them to the, give to the community. And, and we do give them something to to come to as well. And they all say, I, I just love coming here. And the purpose of uh, every day of volunteering, it brings great joy to them, too. Um, there's one chap in particular that really um, that is my example of, of the impact that a volunteer can bring to a program. And um, this is our cardboard baler. So obviously we get tons of stuff coming through um, in cardboards and we and we recycle all of it. And um, this gentleman, Ken, who's been volunteering with the Good Shepherd for 30 years, um, didn't miss a day. And he retired early from the Ford plant in Oakville. He was a manager there. And um, so he was in his mid-50s when he retired. Um, the joke is that his wife said, you got to go out and get busy and and, <laughs> and do something after he retired. So he's been, like I said, he's been here for 30 years Um and just a couple months ago, he had some vision problems and he had to pull back. He had to stop. And about three days later, we just like in the warehouse, we see this stockpile of cardboard and it kind of, you don't take it for granted, but when you see right there, the impact, someone coming in every day for 30 years and, and all of a sudden you have this stockpile of cardboard that we haven't touched yet because Ken's not around and we're trying to figure out how to deal with this. It shows how how much one person can really impact a program and their dedication and their loyalty. And it, it warms my heart. He still comes by to visit because his wife wants him to get out of the house. Uh, he's working hard to try to come back. And here's a guy that's, you know, he's 85 years old. And it's it's just wonderful to see. And it, it gives him purpose every day. And and it brings, he, bring, he has such an impact on our program as well. Yeah, Ken's been a... Very, very loyal volunteer, and um, I hope he does get well and come back because I think his wife would uh, relish he, that fact yes. of getting him out of the house, but also he needs to get out of the house for himself. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, in the vision of that Venture Centre, when um, we started, the brothers started that, it was really um, in response to a program that we had, I had seen in Spain, actually, where we had a small little shop that we were... Mm-hmm. Uh, allowing people to come and shop at one of our hospitals. So, because so often in in many of our ministries, we have a whole program that's set up for those who are poor or need in, in our in the community where we're located. And I thought the idea was really something that we could emulate and copy. And and I really have been um, touched and and edified by the the response of you know us allowing people to come and shop for what they want, mm-hmm. given what we have also. But the reality is, is that it really does, in fact, provide a dignified experience for people and families um, to be able to come and uh, look after their own household with some dignity and respect. And it's not just charity. It's really about uh, helping our brother and sister who's in need. Yeah. And when you mentioned the the dignified part, it was one of the first things I noticed when I started um is allow it just normalizes the whole process and 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 it makes it really um simple for people to come in get what they want and 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 it comes with pleasure providing that service and um i i've gone to a couple of other food banks and i see i wanted to see and kind of witness how they do it and i really do feel that the process of people coming in and almost like a normal shop in a grocery store it's it's a beautiful thing Great vision. Tell, tell me, do you have any stories about 
something that happened at the men's center or in our in our transitional bed programs in terms of somebody's life who sh- we've been able to be there to help them to get on their feet? Um. Yeah, there's there's one gentleman that uh, probably a couple months ago um, needed a bed to stay. He 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 lost his apartment. Uh, he lost his job, and right away he was very engaged in the process with our earlier intervention worker. And um, he he was focused. He was motivated. He he wanted to not stay there very long, and he wanted to move on. He was applying for jobs. We connected him with an employment uh, service. And um, he actually got a job uh, at a fishing uh, hunting uh, campsite far up north near, I think, Ken- Kenora um, or Thunder Bay. Um, and we and we asked him, when you get up there, please connect with us. And, and, and he did. He actually texted us and thanked us for his uh, for us helping him. And uh, we sent him on a bus. Um, we paid for the bus drive to get up there and um, he settled in and he's loving it. And he still makes the odd connection here and there by text. Um, so that's someone that was very motivated from the beginning. And um, and it was great how he engaged in the whole process. Yeah, so sometimes, nice success. Sometimes that beginning of moving from homelessness to something else, it's a scary step for some people. And it's a place and particularly when people come into homelessness, it's not a place that you want anybody to stay. You really want them to to move on. And if we can help them to find housing, to 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 get a job, to to have some meaningful activities mm-hmm. in their lives, that um, it really does transform people. And and I know from my own history, working with people over the years, many many folks have come back and said thank you, thank you for being there for me at that time in my life. I, I remember for many years and. When I worked at the men's center years ago, that there was a man who used to drive up in a, I think a BMW, always at Christmas, and had his trunk full of food and things like that for the Good Shepherd Center. And he, when you asked him his name, he wouldn't tell you. And he says, but you were there for me when I was down and out. So wow. it was just really um, a, a person paying it forward right. and being able to uh, to respond to the needs of folks that... Um, and remembering where they where they were at one point, and and it's hard sometimes when you're you've been homeless um, and then move on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes it's a place you don't want to remember in your life, you know. Right. Uh, and I and I even know I was quoting this to somebody the other day. Uh, sometimes when we deal with the folks that come to us, it, it it's 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 a tough slug, you know. It's it's hard, and uh, but I also I remember the words of Saint Vincent de Paul who said. The poor will never forgive you the bread that you give them. Yeah. We we need to remember that people's dignity is the most important thing right. that we can only we can be there for. And sometimes people feel not so dignified when they're poor or having to need uh, uh, an opportunity to get something to help them along. I think in this particular uh, gentleman that I refer to, um, so he got into a bad spot. Obviously, he's homeless. Um, he lost his job, but that motivated him. Coming to us, he was almost motivated. Like it was like that intrinsic motivation. He 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 was so easy to work with, and and he just wanted this to be his recoil and spring forward. And um, it's it's a pleasure to work with that. And um, yeah, again, great success. You know, in in working with the homeless population right now, it, um, it's changed over the years tremendously uh, in terms of uh, when I first started. 
we would call the, the gentlemen that would come in the Knights of the Road. And most of them were people who had either uh, had an alcohol problem mm-hmm. or, or who just were, had some tragedy in their life were on the streets. Now today we see a lot more people that are mentally ill. We also see a lot of problems with addictions, particularly with this opioid crisis. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the challenges that brings to providing shelter for people and also um, how we try to help folks move from addiction and move from uh, from unhealthy ways and also improving their mental health, how we might be able, how we're helping people in, re- in reaching out to them? I think the best way to reach out to them, and it's a difficult, it's very hard work, um, but the best way is to develop some sort of professional trusting relationship, um, some, some kind of um, conduit for them to believe uh, in, in the services that we can provide to help them um, build that trust um, connect him to other agencies or resources. And, um, it, it, it's a challenge. Absolutely. Um, but I think it starts with that relationship and, uh, and how we try to lend out our hand and, and connect with them. Cause if you make a connection, you, they have a chance. We have a chance at helping them. Um, the addiction part though, um, because we are a harm reduction kind of focus and we work from that lens, um, we, we would never put any stigma on somebody using, but because someone might be using that might make it very difficult to make that connection because they're kind of focused on maybe their next high and they're not putting any resources or making any effort into the connection of a relationship, a professional for, relationship. For sure. I think that when somebody is addicted, it becomes a yeah. their own reason for being as opposed to the rest of the world. And it's it, it puts people in a, a tremendous downward spiral. It, it is. And, and because of the opioids, it's so addictive. Um, it's it's such a barrier breakdown. But but you know what? It's all about the effort and, and trying to make that connection. And just in terms of the because of the work that we're doing and how we're becoming more um, what would I say, holistic in our approach to providing services to folks. Can you talk a little bit about the health programs, both the transitional bed program and also the clinics that we operate and offer to people in our services? Sure. Um, So we have the transitional bed program. It's a 10-bed program that we kind of have a conduit with the hospitals that if someone who might be on, who might be homeless or on the verge of homelessness, um, ends up in the hospital and they're having, they're dealing with their medical uh, concerns. Um, When they're nearing their discharge from the hospital, they will connect with our program. And um, at that point, we're looking to try to help them find home or or safe housing. And um, so they can come to us. We can help them with their acute medical care for maybe a few weeks and try to connect them with the resources that, that we have in finding safe housing or other community agencies and our clinics that's on site and our clinics on site. So uh, we have Hallie, our nurse practitioner that has office every day of the week and including uh, a doctor as well. And um, she averages about a hundred visits a month. Um, So it's the access right there for medical care um, for anyone actually in the community who might be on the verge of homelessness or is. Yeah. I think for us, I think it's a great way in which we divert people from emergency rooms or because many of these people don't have access to primary care. 
and we're able to be there in terms of providing care to them. Yeah, I know. Um, even with the, the the discharge beds, there part of our desire there was to or the medical discharge beds or the, the or transitional beds. They're really there to be able to continue treatment that people might have started in hospitals, such as IVs, uh, such as intravenous uh, drug treatment for with antibiotics and things mm-hmm. like that. Or also ongoing wound care, so that people can in fact leave a hospital situation where it's more expensive. And come to the community and be cared for. Yes, and one of the other things is that we've um, connected and partnered with the Hep C program here in Hamilton, so um, people who have hepatitis C um, can come to us and stay with us and have their daily um, medication for that, and um, it's a good thing too. Um, you know, as we're moving into Christmas, um, can you tell our our listeners a little bit about what our needs might be and how they may help? Um, yeah, so we have food drives. We had the Thanksgiving food drive and we have the Christmas food drive and, um, that's absolutely helping with our inventory. It's, it's been a great result in that regard. Um, corporate donations too, um, have been pretty solid. Um, but because we are in the Christmas program and we have been stockpiling for a couple of months come January, February, um, our inventory might be low again. So we would always be welcome to donations of the the common non-perishable items like um, tuna, pasta, tomato sauce, craft dinner, uh, peanut butter, and canned vegetables. And that's always something that we can work with and um, people appreciate. Um, We do have um, the City Enrichment Fund that helps us fill in some of the gaps that helps us with our Christmas program to enhance the shop, but it also helps us fill in some inventory gaps uh, in January. But also, um, Hamilton Food Chair has also gone to City Council in Hamilton and requested for an emergency fund, and they did receive six hundred twenty-five thousand uh, dollars that will be shared with the sixteen uh, hunger relief programs in the area. And uh, I know they've also gone to the City Council and. Uh, requested for annual funding of 1.2 million, which would be tremendous help and assistance. Um, just as we move into the Christmas season, is there any final message you'd like to say to our listeners? Um, it's it's a trying time. Christmas and, and the holiday season is a time for family, and uh, it's time to celebrate. And um, sometimes that can be difficult too for people. And um, and so it's also a time of sorrow. So I think what we provide with the Good Shepherd from the Good Shepherd is providing some hope and providing some service. And we hope that everything that we can do to help a household, to help a family, to help an individual, um, it's it's just part of what we do and how we live the hospitality values. And um, yeah, if you need help or support, try the Good Shepherd. Thanks, Mike. Once again, um, you've had another episode of The Fold. I'm Brother Richard McPhee. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and a blessed new year. Thanks. Thanks a lot for making miracles happen at Good Shepherd.